And so let's prepare our hearts today. We're going to talk about uh, Prepper Parables. This is part three of this little uh, four or five week series as the Lord leads. And uh, the title of this message uh, is Grace, period. We are saved by grace alone. Grace, period. Uh, But how many of you really enjoy the grace periods of your bills, right? Uh, The grace period of yours. What's that? You know, that that time uh, where you have that little, there's the deadline of the bill, but then there's that little time in between there where they don't really uh, charge you that late penalty or they don't cut off your services. Isn't that right? Brother John, there's people that are late, but then you give them some grace. The, the, a, lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of places give us a little bit of grace uh, before they start charging you those late fees. And it's great for some of us, like myself. Man, I'm, my wife and I, thank the Lord now, I used to be the one that paid the bills, but now my wife uh, is taking, taking that over. And we're sticklers for being on time. But every now and then you get that bill, they like falls through the cracks or gets behind another bill. And you're like, oh my gosh, or we went out of town. And you come back for after a week and you realize, oh, we should have paid that before we left. And so you got to rush to the post office. Thank God for the grace period. Or some of us... <clears throat> Don't raise your hands. You like to use that grace period as the real deadline because you start to think something like, well, you know, the bill says it's due on this date, but I've got really another month before they start turning off my lights, right? How many people, don't raise your hand, are like that? Uh, you kind of you like to live in grace. And, and you know what? The Bible says that we all live in grace. We all live in the grace of God. And this year, I won't mention the company's name, but I thought I had a little bit more grace than I did, and uh, we had an insurance. Uh, I had dental insurance this year, and <clears throat> they had a problem with their billing, and they forgot to send me my bill. Well, if you don't send me a bill, I don't really remember to pay it, and so they forgot to send me a bill, and uh, when I found out that they had forgotten, we tried to pay in, in the grace period before they canceled me. Well, you know what? They went ahead and canceled me anyway. And I, you know what, I just, the nerve, I was thinking, you know, uh, it kind of reminds me, though, that we, at any moment, the period of God's grace could end. And, you know, in a sense, we are all powerless. I was, I realized how powerless I was. I made an appeal. I called the, everybody I could in the ladder to say, hey, look, you forgot to do this. You know, at the end of the day, I was powerless to change my condition. I still don't have that insurance. <laughs> Uh, you know, so think about it this way. We all live under the grace of God, and we are powerless to change our condition. At any moment, our bill could come due. At any moment, any one of us could expire. At any, one, any moment, my heart could fail, or we have an aneurysm in my brain, or I could die on that car on the way home, or God's rapture could happen at any moment. And the period of grace in my life would end, and I would be powerless to argue my case. Powerless to argue my case. Just like that insurance company, I was powerless to argue with it. And this has been on my heart this week. And we're looking today in Luke chapter 13, if you've got your Bibles. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Did you know that we are living in the period of Christ's grace, and at any time He could collect? We're going to talk about grace period today. And what does that mean for us as we live in grace? Okay, if you're there, say amen. Amen. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Jesus says this. A man had a fig tree, which he had planted in his vineyard. 
And he came looking for fruit on it, and he did not find any. And then he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put fertilizer, put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. You know, the Bible says that we are all sinners, every single one of us, and we will either repent or we will perish. It's a very simple gospel message. Repent or perish. And that is the message of the gospel that no one likes to hear and no one likes to preach. And the world definitely does not want to hear the church stand up and say, we have two options, repent or perish. But God is so very, very patient. But His judgment will not last forever. And we have a limited time today. This world has a limited time to repent and confess Christ and prove their repentance by living a fruitful life. And that's what we're talking about today. God is patient, but He will not wait forever. It is the message, repent or perish. How fruitful is my life? And we're going to break this uh, parable down today and talk about harvest time, discerning the time of harvest Uh, talking about holy digging, talking about really what that means, and then how God adds fertilizer to our life and what truly fruitfulness means. And Jesus uh, today, I believe, is going to bring this to light. But let's talk about this background, this harvest time. Uh, Back in the uh, Bible days, sometimes they would plant uh, fruit trees in their vineyards to help flavor the wine. You planted a fig tree next to a, 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 a vine... Uh, somehow or another, uh, it helped to flavor it. And this man had waited. A, a normal fig tree would take three to four years for it to produce fruit. But then that first, that fourth year, that farmer would give that fruit to God. And that was supposed to be God's fruit. And then the fifth year, he could actually, the farmer, take some of that crop. So the first part of it was given to God. But this farmer had waited well past the time that it should have produced fruit. You know what that makes me remind of? That God gives the sufficient time. God is all about giving us sufficient time to repent, to come to Him, and to produce fruit. I think about the the people of Israel. God gave that nation sufficient time. He gave them the Word. He gave them His his prophets. He gave them uh, uh, all the things that they would need, their land, their provision, and yet they still didn't find themselves fruitful. And what did He do? He sent them into exile, and He destroyed very many of them. And so God, three years, it says, this farmer has waited. There was sufficient time. And it says that they were just taking up space. I wonder how many people we could say today, or how many of us uh, would not want to say of ourselves, am I just taking up space in God's vineyard? Am I using my gifts? Am I fruitful? Uh, Because the Bible says those people who are just taking up space in God's vineyard, in God's church, will be pruned. They even, may even be cut down and discarded. And so, why? Because they're ta- this tree was taking up the nutrients of the good soil from the vine. And the farmer says, cut it down. But then Christ comes in. And look here, just as Christ is this vineyard keeper, God the Father is the one saying, cut it down. The Christ steps in. He says, Father, give it me a little time. Give me a little time. That's what Christ did. When He comes to the earth, Christ dies on the cross for us, and a whole new age in salvation history begins, and it is the period or the age 
of grace. It's the age of the Messiah. You call it the age of the church. And Jesus has given an extension. How many people like to get extensions on things, right? Yeah, I need a little bit more time to pay that loan off. I need a little bit more time to get that movie back to the store. Or I need a little bit more. We don't do that too much no more. A little bit more time, you know, to pay that bill. Can't quite handle it right now, that student loan. Christ comes to this earth to give this world an extension. Praise God that He did because He could have collected in the first century. He could have come and collected. Now think about that. We are living in a period of grace. Living in a period of grace. And that is what Jesus is coming to talk about today. Jonathan Edwards, uh, American pastor many years ago in the Great Awakenings, he said that there is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure or the grace of God. At any moment, God could collect on your life. You think about that for a second. I've just been kind of thinking about that, that I have no power. Man, I, I hear about these people that, you know, they're just like they're 30 years old, they're going about their life, and then they just drop dead out of brain aneurysm. Who can argue with that? What power do I really have in my life to say, hold on a second, I'm not ready to die. Hold on a second, I'm not ready for God you to come back. Hold on a second, I've not got all my things in order. And if you look at life, I really have no power at all. I'm living in grace. And like the Jonathan Edwards would say, <clears throat> it's as if all of us were dangling over the pit of hell And at any moment we could fall into it, but there's only in between is the hand of God. The grace of God is upholding you and I from falling into hell. That's powerful. That's an awe-inspiring. That's a fearful, holy reverence of a holy God. And that's where Jesus is saying, how many people in this world today will discern the time? We're in the late notice here. The world is coming to an end. The bill is coming due. And Jesus says to the the Pharisees and the religious in Luke chapter 12. He talks about, in Luke chapter 12, verse 54, he rebukes these religious of his day because they could look at the weather, not like our weathermen today sometimes, they could look at the weather and they could tell when bad weather was coming. They could see, oh, or, or look at the spring. Today we can look outside and we can say, okay, it's, uh, the, the, the birds are chirping, the frost is, uh, is melted, and the trees are budding, it's spring. Or it's getting a little cooler and the trees are starting to fall. It's the autumn. It's the fall. We can discern the things of this natural world and see God's order, God's hand. We can see God's plan. We know that there is every year. It doesn't go summer, spring, winter, autumn. I mean, every year it's the same. It's spring, summer, autumn, fall. I mean, autumn, winter, right? Every year. It doesn't change. God has order. And the same is true. The Bible tells us in the last days there will be signs and wonders in the heavens. I looked on the, uh, watching the news when getting back from our trip this week, and I just began to, I was thinking of this message, and I was looking at the news, and I was watching the weather of the news. It's crazy. We have people dying and flooding in one part of our country, Texas, the Midwest, just massive floods, like historical floods. But then, you know, one state over, we have historical droughts. Isn't that weird? And then the other day in Florida, they were saying there's uh, uh, downspouts, an enormous amount of downspouts, tornadoes in the water coming to land. And there was a guy walking his dog or walking in his neighborhood, and he got struck by lightning because there's random lightning happening. This world is telling us the master is coming. The bill is coming due. This world is 
the Bible says, groaning with anticipation of the time where Jesus says the grace period is over. There's the judgment day. There's a final day of harvest. And we look today, how many churchgoers, how many self-professing Christians can discern that spiritual atmosphere in the day that we live? And if we know that time is short, what does it mean if we don't take the bill seriously? What does it mean if we don't... We know He's coming, but we don't change the way we live. We don't change the way that we think. What does it say of a person who knows that their bill is due, that they're already in the grace period, but they don't make preparations to pay it? It's foolishness. It's not wisdom. You know, Christ has given this free season of grace. And I realize in my life now, the more I've got to know God, the more I've uh, really had an awareness of Him, that I cannot change myself. You know, I ha- I've met people, and I've tried to talk with them about you know, financial issues, and there's something in some of us that we just cannot do things a certain way. It just, we can't change ourselves. Maybe it's the way I was raised. Maybe it's just the way I think about numbers. Sometimes uh, some people are not numbers people. And you often can't change those things unless it's a lot of painful, a tedious process. And I realize in my life, I am helpless to change the way I think. I think bad sometimes. I think wrong. I, I don't think right. I, I have, don't always have the right opinions or the right objectives or the right feelings. Or, or I don't respond in the right way. And I'm helpless to do that. And Je- Jesus, in this period of grace, this is why God is so good. In this period of grace, when he could say, I'm giving you a season, you better change yourself or I'm coming back. He says, I know you can't change yourself, but let me help you. That's a good father. That's a good father. I know the bill is coming due, but you still don't make any more money than you did last month. You ever been there before? You know the bill. Okay, I got an extension of grace, but I still don't have the money to pay it. God's the same way with you and I. He says, I know I'm giving you an extension of grace and I'm going to loan you something. I'm going to give you a little bit more than you need. I'm going to show you how merciful I am. But what does it take? It's going to cost you and I something. The Bible says Jesus came preaching, repent and believe. Two things, that's what we're going to break down today. When he talks about these trees, he says, I want to take this tree, and it's not producing fruit, and I should have just cut it down. But Jesus intercedes, and he says, wait, Father, just wait one moment. Let me dig around it, and then let me fertilize it. What does he mean about holy digging? Let's talk about this for a second. Holy, holy digging. The Bible says there must be a cutting away, and he came preaching, preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We have to repent before we can be forgiven. And he says this in Luke chapter 13, verse 5, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will likewise all perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. I'm thinking about repentance today, and what is it? I'm going to break it down for us, because it really goes in these three stages, and we're talking about Jesus digging up in my life. It's number one, seeing my dirt. And then it means seeing a holy God, and then it means letting Him do something, letting Him do the work of repentance in me, letting Him dig in my heart. You know, and sometimes we talk about seeing my dirt. Sometimes I have a a skewed view of God. 
People come into the church all the time, uh, and you know, or been in ministry for a while now, and and I get to see different people's perspective. Some people uh, never had a dad, so they come into church and they don't really understand God the Father. Or some people come in with a very loose view of sin and they don't understand God the holy, awesome, majestic, and powerful one. And some people have just been hurt time and time and again, and they don't understand a God who can compassionately forgive and love with an everlasting love. And sometimes we come into these places. And we don't really have a a true perspective of God. Even those of us who've been raised in church, some of us have seen God so much through religion. And we think God is a a God who's there with a big stick waiting to beat us if you mess up. And, And all these views, we sometimes make God out who we think He is or who we'd like to be. Or maybe we have sin in our life and we don't want to really admit that that sin is wrong. So we begin to water down the definition of sin. We've been to say, oh, I'm not that bad, or oh, that's not that bad, at least I'm better than him, or I don't do those things, or I don't cuss that much, or I don't, I don't uh, really, I don't act on those things, or I don't really, yeah, I got mad, but I didn't really feel, but I talked about that, but it wasn't as bad as that one time. You know, we begin to rationalize things, and sometimes we can even get to that place where we come to an altar call, or we, we raise our hands, or we come down. And we rush to making those decisions with Christ, but really not truly knowing what repentance means. I feel this is one of the failures of the modern American church not to know what true repentance means because Isaiah 64, verse 6, when Isaiah saw God, when he saw the train that filled his temple, and he saw uh, a holy God, and he saw these creatures uh, before him, the sea of glass, and uh, all these things, He says this in Isaiah 64, verse 6, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, which means like a leper. And all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, which means literally a menstruous rag. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. He became so aware I'm going to read another verse that he says here in a minute, but it's so an awareness of sin. When I see my dirt... When I realize Heath Harris is nothing but clay. Clay don't grow a whole lot of good food. You know that? It, that, that, that clay, hard, dry ground. That I have been, I am nothing but dirt. In ashes I've come from, in ashes I return. That I'm a flower quickly faded, the Bible says. And who am I that God would think anything of me? I have to have, we, we put ourselves so high, and that was one of the things we did in the garden, that we set ourselves higher than what God had set for us. We said, well, I want to be like God. I'm, I'm something. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking something of myself. But when we see my dirt, it takes some time for me to really become self-aware of my sin. It really takes for me to get into that place on a, on a, a, a weekly basis and just shut everything out, be very quiet and say, who am I? Who have I been this week? Where are my thoughts really at? Is it, the Bible says in, in Psalms, it says, Search me and know me, O God. Reveal any wicked way in me. Reveal. I mean, that's asking God to look inside of you and to you to look inside of yourself and say, Really, where is your attitude at? Really, where is my thought? Because I know, man, the closer I've gotten to God, the more I've, I realize, I, Heath Harris is a horrible person. I know you love me, and I'm glad you do, but... I'm nothing. I'm nothing. If, if people knew the things that I thought, the things that the, the devil puts in my path, the things that I know what I've done and the things that I've thought, the Bible says that we have even thought of those things. It's like we've even acted on them. That my heart condemns me. 
I am a wretched man. And we all are before a holy God. And it's that awesome perspective that we must keep to live in this Christian life, to know that our righteousness will not deliver us on the day that God returns. Nothing I can do can make me stand before a holy God. When that bill comes due, I have no argument. When my case comes before the mighty judge, there is nothing I can say that will defend me. Think of it. There's nothing you or I can say on that day. Our mouths will be shut before a holy God. This world, their case, their argument, what the, what the next celebrity says, well, this was my identity, this is how I was born, this is what I believe was right at the time, this is what I, my perspective was, this is what I think I deserve. All of those arguments will be silent before a holy God. This world will bow its knees to a holy God. There will be no case before the holy God. The judgment day, all the chips will lie flat and He will judge the living and the dead and I look at the words in Ezekiel and it talks about that even one wicked deed or one wicked thought of the most righteous man is enough to condemn him, condemn him to an eternal hell. Man, who are we without God? Can we look at ourselves this morning and just say that who am I? Where would I be without God? Where will I be without God? I'm nothing like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, there is nothing good in me. And to, before I even go on this journey with Christ, I've got to come to that place. If I try to skip that step, I'm going to ruin my Christian walk. I'll fall flat on my face down the road. I'll leave this faith. I'll reject the Word of God because I have to, at first, the initial journey with Jesus Christ, I have to realize I am nothing without Him. There's an old song that used to sing that. Without Him, I'm nothing. Then I see the Holy God, and here's Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, and He saw God's throne, and what does He do? He sees His dirt, He's, a, he's aware of sin, but then He sees a Holy God, and it was, what does it do? He causes us to confess it. He says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know that great men of old, Talk about the great uh, early fathers of, of you know, the Methodist movement or the Baptist movement or even the Pentecostal movement. You go even so far back as to the Great Awakenings. All these great men, you read all their books and their journals, they all talk about weeping and moaning in the Spirit. They all talk about laying prostrate before a holy God because they could see the comparison of their souls compared to the holiness and the reverence of God. To get a true image of His holiness, that there is nothing impure or, or unholy about Him, that He defines what holiness is, and I can do nothing. I can't even imagine. Every time the Bible even talks about an angel coming down to earth, where an angel has been in the presence of God, that every man who was standing there fell on his face. Because just the, the radiance of God had just come off of the angel, even to that man, that he would just be, woe is me. Who am I? And I think we forget. I wonder if, I, if in, in, a, in the world, in the church today, if we really realize that we are guilty before a holy God and, and helpless to change. One early church father said this. He said, a, a sinner should mourn before receiving forgiveness because that means the timing of their repentance came with a thought of fear and peril of judgment. Have we lost a reverence for God in America? Lost a reverence for God. This is a hard message this morning, but I think it's the Word of God. And we think about 
How could I even save myself if God decided to send me to hell? If God decided to send me to hell, I had nothing. I, I don't, I, what could we do? What could I do? And that should bring a holy fear and a holy reverence that sometimes we like to only think of God as perfect love. But it's both. He's both. He's a holy God, but He's a loving God. In David's Psalm 51, he realized he sinned against this holy God. He says, God, you're just. You can do with me whatever you want. I'm crying out for you to purify me, even with discipline. And I'm even rejoicing that you're breaking me. Because I know it's going to make me better. I'm rejoicing in the brokenness that I have with God. He prays for God's mercy to blot out his sin and to wash him white as snow, to create in him a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit. There's this verse in Romans chapter 3 that we always like to quote. It says, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Anybody know this verse? The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Do you know that that verse is in the context of God's judgment? You don't really know how kind God is until you know that you've been judged. We take it for granted if we, don't, if we forget the judgment, we forget the holiness and the reverence of God, and we, we don't, the love is so much less. Because you see, my bill was past due. I had nothing to, to pay a debt that I had owed to Him, and yet He paid it for me. And so when I see that I was due hell and He is a holy God and I can't stand before Him, that I am nothing, I am undone, and then I see that this holy God pardons me, I love Him all the more. I love Him all the more. And so one author says it this way. He says, you cannot just know the love of God because His justice and His mercy are met together. It's the place of salvation where His justice and His mercy are met. And your life, you didn't get just saved just because God loved you. You got saved because, one, you were already going to hell, and God loved you so much to declare you legally innocent. God loves everyone, but the first part of it is is that we were all judged and condemned. And we're still all judged and condemned unless we repent. One author says it this way, the closer we get to God, the more repentant we should become. Because we do realize in that moment, the grace of God is the only thing that keeps me from an eternity of hell. Asking myself today, who do I compare my sin to? Are we comparing as a church in the church world today, as husbands, as wives? Are we comparing our sins, our situations? We say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, or I'm not as bad as I once was. Or, I'm not as bad as those people out there in the world. I'm a pretty good guy. Or are we comparing ourselves to a righteous and holy God? Because that's all that's going to matter on the last day. It's not about my neighbor. It's not about the sinners of the world. But I'm comparing sin in my life to a holy and just God. And so when I see my dirt and I see a holy God, and I say, God, please dig it out of me. God, please dig in me. I'm begging you. You know, the... In this uh, technical world today, I like to use miracle Grow on my garden. <clears throat> Probably not the best thing. A lot of people are against it. But, you know, back in the ancient days, miracle Grow today, you can just pour on top of your soil in liquid form, and it's supposed to soak, soak through and fertilize your plants. Well, back in the day, they didn't have that kind of stuff. And so they had to till. Every year, you would till that garden. You'd put that manure in there. You could put that charcoal in there, and you'd till it up because that's the quickest, best way to get things into the soil. And it's better, way better than even miracle Grow. It's to actually take the soil and change it. 
And I need God to come into my life and change me and my nature because I am helpless to do it alone. And digging is not going to be good. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And, and, and I don't like pain. I don't like shots. Go to the doctor. I don't want a shot. Give me a pill. I'll swallow a pill. You know, anything, anything, and I'm not a, I don't like to see... Uh, I don't mind seeing other people's blood, but I don't want to see my own blood, that kind of a thing, you know? Like, I, I, I'm not a fan of pain, okay? I don't know. It's just the way God made me. Hopefully, those of you who like pain, something's wrong with you. But uh, it's just to be honest. That's why I don't work out. It's painful. No. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? It's not just... Sometimes, you know, I've, we have to realize repentance is this process that God is doing the work in me. Because see, if I come to the altar and I just say, God, I want you to fix me and I do my part to come down, but I don't let him continue to do the part that he's got to do, I'm not finishing the work of repentance because repentance involves him digging in me. And sometimes it's like we get down to the altar and we say, okay, God, please help me. I want to be saved. Oh, wait, wait. Don't touch that. Don't, don't do that. I don't, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to change that much or I don't want to have to give that much of my finances or, or God, I don't, I don't want to have to like her again or, you know, like I don't... I don't really want to have to hang around him. And, and he's digging. And I don't feel good. But it's a process that he's got to do the work in me. And so repentance at its very core is a work of God in you. Because remember, you couldn't pay the debt. You couldn't get there on your own. So you've got to allow God to begin to do it in you and surrender in him to say, God, start the digging. Some of us may need to rent a backhoe. For God, it might be a lot in there for Him to do something in us. But you know, it's not just the mental knowledge of sin. It's not just knowing there's a holy God. It's just not knowing that I have a sin issue. But it's allowing the Holy Spirit to cleanse me, mind, my emotions, my will. It's not just raising my hands in prayer, but it's bowing my whole life before a holy God. Psalms 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Are we ready to surrender our sin? I think about Judas. Judas had some sorrow. Man, Judas, uh, he denied God just like we all have. We, he, he turned in Christ and caused Christ to die just like we all have caused Christ to die. The Bible uh, says that we've all fallen short and Jesus had to die for all of us. The blood was due for all of our sins. And so Judas... He did all that, just like us. We've all denied Christ. We've all turned him in. We've all uh, uh, put him and nailed him on that cross. But Judas died without salvation. He was sorry for his sin, but he did not return to Christ to receive his grace. The Bible says the sorrow of this world produces death, but the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance that leads to salvation. If Judas had just turned to Christ and said, God, forgive me. God, I want your grace in my life. Jesus would have gladly given it. See, repentance does not lead us to a place of religious burden or, or I'm beating myself over the head all the time, but true repentance that's wrought with a view of my sin, a view of a holy God, and allowing God to dig in me is leading me to the place 
of God's unmerited favor and grace. It leads me to that place where I see what God really is all about, how much He saved me from, how much He loves me. Because if you have a gospel message that doesn't have grace in it, it's not the gospel message. A lot of pastors in the last 50 years have preached nothing but fire and brimstone and hell and damnation, and that is good, but it's half of the gospel message because his repentance leads me to his grace. And so maybe you've been in that place in your life where you have just been condemned over condemned over condemned, but when I repentance is not just remorse, but it's a turning of myself to God. It radically reorients my life. It changes me from the inside out where I renounce the world and I renounce the devil and I say, God, I'm a slave to you. Ask yourself this today. Have you seen your guilt in light of a holy God? Have you hated your sin enough to turn from it? And I pray, man, for my life, there are things that I still battle with in my own life that I say, I don't hate that enough. Because I haven't seen it the way God sees it. I don't hate my attitude in this enough. I don't hate my my lusts of the flesh or my pride enough. I don't hate those things that my flesh wants enough. I have to get to that place and say, God, dig in me. But it doesn't end there because God has some fertilizer. He digs it up and He fertilizes it. And just like this, the Bible says, repent and believe. It's the repentance coupled with faith. And so God wants to do something in your life that's more powerful than you could ever do, and He wants to add faith. He wants to add the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the ingredients that in your life that will make you the most fruitful, the most happy, the most peaceful, the most joyful, the most fulfilled you've ever been. And so many people say, well, how come I don't feel fulfilled? How come I don't feel fruitful? Did you skip part one? You got to let some digging going on. You got to let him see your sin and see a holy God and, and allow him to do the work. But then, then alone you can get to the time of fertilization. We talk about spiritual fertilizer Jesus, again, can add, you can't add anything to your life to make it better. Do you know that? Do you realize that? You and I cannot get a better job to be happy. You and I cannot better, marry a better person that's going to make you look any better than you do right now. I mean, some of us, I've got a good-looking wife, and she makes me look good, but that doesn't have anything to do with God, right? And, and if, if we ever get into an argument, it's like, well, you know, I wish I could go this way. I mean, it's just not working anymore, and she's always on my case, and blah, blah, blah. It's just not working. I need to go. There's greener pastures over here. No. Ain't going to make me better. I'll feel way worse, actually. And, and all these, I, well, if I had a little bit more money, if I had a boat, if I had more vacation time, if I had all these things, it'd make me happy. Nothing you and I can add to our lives will make us more fulfilled. It is only with God's fertilizer. It's only with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is completely a gift of God. Again, the bill was past due. You couldn't still pay it even in the grace period. So God paid it for you. So if you can't, uh, you're living in grace, but you have to allow Him not only to do the work of repentance in your life, but also to do the work of faith. I don't have enough in me to have enough faith in God. You know, I don't have enough faith to move mountains. I really don't. Look at the disciples. They fell time and time again. It wasn't until when... After they receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, they begin to start doing mighty things of God. 
You see, we don't have enough. So a lot of times we go into church and we come in here and you think, wow, God, if I can't get through this trial, God, I can't get through this situation, God, I can't get through this thing. You can't. That's right. That's what he wants you to know. But now let him start doing it in you. And it doesn't, it's like those words don't make sense. Because for a long time I realized in my life those words didn't make sense. So it's like, well, if I would just think right, if I would just do right, if I would just memorize more scripture, if I would just be more obedient, then I'd have more faith. Then I would do more. Then I would feel better. Then I would have more victory. No, I am utterly helpless before a holy God. I'm utterly helpless. And so I even in faith have to let Him do it through me. I can't move mountains in my life. And let's look, you know, think about it this way. Faith is not logic, it's not rationale. And many of us, we get brought up in church... We come to this intellectual belief in God by just, okay, I know there's a God, I know there is sin, I know there's a heaven, I know there's a hell. Some of us even get to the even further place of having the emotional response where the music just moves you just right. And it's like, ooh. You know, and you, you're like, I just start crying, I don't even know why. You know, and it's just this emotional response. Those are good things. Emotion, you're human, God's emotional, you're emotional. That's great. But that's not what faith is. It is even deeper than that because we can do all those things. We can get emotional. We can weep. We can cry. We can do a Jericho march around this place ten times. And we can shout and scream, glory, hallelujah. But unless we let God do something in us, we'll be no better off than we came in here. I've got to allow God to do. And it's, I love uh, what God wanted to do in Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. He says that He desired to put His Spirit within us to write His law on our hearts. Because I can hear the Word of God, but I can't obey it on my own. I know what I'm supposed to do, Paul said, but I still don't even end up doing it anyway. Why is this going on in me? But he says, but in my weakness, the Holy Spirit comes through. He prays through me. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We call this regeneration. We call it born again, becoming alive in Christ. Where even your salvation, the, just the, the working of the new life coming inside of you, the repentance, he says repent and believe, both parts you can't do on your own. You can't repent fully without Him digging in you, and you can't get born again fully without Him being uh, uh, fertilizing your spirit. And so uh, John MacArthur get, had a good example And he says it like this, when a person chokes or drowns and stops breathing, there's nothing he can do, right? If he ever breathes again, it will be because someone else started him breathing, right? The CPR, mouth to mouth. And a person who's spiritually dead even cannot even make a decision of faith unless God first breathes into him the breath of spiritual life. The Bible says no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And so faith is this, it's simply Breathing in the breath that God's grace supplies. But the paradox is, you have to breathe it. I'm saved by God's grace, period. I'm in His grace, period, but I'm saved by grace alone. His grace, period. His Holy Spirit is a gift to me and you, but you have to exercise it. You have to breathe and allow the Holy Spirit to breathe into you. We have to say, God, fill me up, and then I have to begin to exercise that breath of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's breathing in the Holy Spirit. It's hearing and obeying the Word of God by His Holy Spirit. It's being born again by the Spirit, and it's that fertilizer that I want Him to fill in my emptiness. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to breathe into you today? 
You need a little bit more fertilizer in your life, maybe some additives, the things that God has got to add into the emptiness of your heart to fill you up. And then we become fruitful confessors. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 3, 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. At the end of this day, when we look at this parable and Jesus says, God, I wanna, uh, God wants to cut this tree down. He says, no, wait, just one more year. i got a limited time. Just give me one little window. This age of the church, maybe it's 2,000 years. Maybe it's 2,015 years. I don't know. He can come tomorrow. That grace period is set. He says, I'm going to do something. Let me start some repentance in their lives. Let me fill them with the Holy Spirit. And then if they're fruitful, then you can have them, God. If they're fruitful... If they're fruitful, the result of your life and my life when we come before a holy God will only be measured on His grace and have we allowed His grace to make us fruitful. And it comes out like this. In this context of these passages in Luke chapter 12 and and chapter 13, Jesus talks about confessing Him before men. He says, if you confess me before men, in Luke 12 verse 8, I will confess you before the angels of God, but if you deny me before men... You'll be denied before the angels of God. Thinking of this week, I, yesterday I was uh, watching uh, uh, Netflix, and there's some things on there called um, uh, Nature and Art or something like that. And it's just uh, classical music set to the mountains and the flowers and all this kind of stuff. It just shows you the beauty of God, and it's just uh, growing and changing. You know, I was thinking, all of life, everything that has life, Think of it this way. Everything that has life declares the glory of God. It declares that God has touched it in some way. That flower that blooms, that bird that sings, that mountain, that river that rolls, everything declares there is a God. Everything that breathes, everything that has life, everything that has true beauty in this world declares there's a divine creator. There's a life supplier, a giver of life. And the same is true for you and I. When you and I are touched by the mighty hand of God, do we declare His new life in us? Does it just shout from us that we have been touched by the glory of God? That there's something vibrant, that there is a God, and He says, you must confess me. What does confess mean? It means to declare publicly my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But He says, confess with the mouth, uh, Paul says, in Romans, he says, if you confess with the mouth uh, and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. But the totality of it is this. Confession is holistic. It's life-altering. It makes me come to a place of joyful sacrifice, of exuberant worship. And just like that flower in the field or that bird in the air, my whole being confesses Christ, that there is a God, that I have had repentance in Him, that I was owed judgment, that I saw my sin in light of a holy God, and yet I was in the grace, and His grace lavished upon me richly, and even though I couldn't pay, even though I was in grace, and He gave me more time to repent, I still didn't have anything I could do to repent, I still couldn't have anything i do to make myself live again, or to be fulfilled in life, and yet God in His grace supplied all my needs, so now my whole life is to shout glory to God. My whole life, my whole being is to say there is a God and I will confess with my mouth, I will believe with my heart and then I know and the world knows that person right there is saved. You see, every good tree bears good fruit. And he says that, uh, he said, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, he says, the acts... In this last days, you'll be aware of the time that the axe 
is already at the root of the tree. It's like the swinging is already in motion. And he says that every tree that bears good fruit, he'll take. But every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and burned in unending fire. There is a process of you and I today of repentance, of coming to this place with God. And one author says it this way, when you sincerely believe and you genuinely confess Christ as Lord, you confirm that the direction of your life is aimed at His exaltation. You say to God's Spirit, take control of me and do what you will for your glory. And then you know what God says? He says, go confess me before men. Go tell the world. Go evangelize. Be a fruitful confessor. That's the end. That's the result of our fruitfulness. Is the world a better place because I am declaring the glory of God? Is, does, does the nature of my life give glory to God? Am I fruitfully confessing to the world Jesus Christ has changed me? Miss T, would you come back? Are we discerning the time today or are we just taking up space? How should we prepare today knowing that we will face a holy judge who will judge the secrets of our hearts and He has the only power and the power to sense us to a fiery hell if we knew that we were on the way to that judgment seat today wouldn't we change wouldn't we try to say God please forgive me God change me God save me one author said it this way Fuller he said you cannot repent too soon because you know not how soon it may be too late it may be too late Let's pray. Every head bow, every eye close. It's a very solemn word today. But I tell you this. I have been burdened over these last years and even months and weeks. But so many faithful, believing Christians have gotten so caught up in sin, gotten so deluded in the things of this world. Some of my closest friends have fallen so far have fallen away from what they knew and what they held dear. I've seen families being destroyed. The Bible says there's a spirit of adultery in this world today. And there's so much sin, and sin is abounding so heavily in this world. I want us to be careful, church. Be careful, church. Know that sin will find you out. Even those secret thoughts, husband, that secret thoughts, wife, It is a holy and a reverent God that we will all stand before and He will judge the intentions and the secrets of our hearts. And we will have no case against ourselves. No defense will we give before that God on that day. But there is grace. There is grace abundantly. But you have to let Him do the work in you and we have to turn from our sin and turn to God and say, God... I know even in my salvation, I have struggles. I have situations. God, my mind is at war against me. Search me. Know me. Dig it up. You know what I prayed today? I prayed, God, don't let me fall. God, don't let me shame my family. Don't let me lose my ministry. God, keep me from sin. The Bible says, deliver us from evil. 
There is a devil out there. The Bible says that sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you. I want us to wake up, church. I want you to wake up your family members. I want you to wake up your friends, your sons, your daughters and say, the time is short. Get right before God. There is nothing you will do because the only thing keeping us from a fiery hell is the grace of God. Will you be found in His grace today? Father God, I just thank You, Lord, for Your Word. God, I know it's a solemn thing. It's a scary thing. But God, Your grace is sufficient. I thank You for Your grace, God. Thank You for Jesus. Father, I pray over every marriage, over every husband, every wife, God, every son, every daughter, every person in this place, God, that we could come into agreement with You and say, God, I want to be right before You. I want to stand holy and blameless. Jesus Christ, take my sin.